If being disciples of Jesus means we follow Jesus, and it does, then we follow Jesus wherever he goes. We walk with Jesus as he feeds the hungry and heals the sick. We follow Jesus as he engages the outcast and embraces the sinner. As he confronts the religious authorities, as he preaches in the synagogue, as he teaches on the mountain. And we walk behind Jesus as he rides triumphantly into the capital city of Jerusalem to be crowned the king. We shout, Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus is Lord, amen? And we're right there with him, aren't we? We're, we're right there in the crowds on Palm Sunday and we are, we are celebrating with Jesus and we're ready to rule with Jesus and we are pledging our allegiance to him and the victory and the kingdom he brings. We're all following Jesus. How is it that we move so quickly from praising our Lord to denying him? How do we go so fast from vowing to die for Christ to betraying him? The Gospels tell us that all of his followers, all of these, these huge crowds that follow Jesus with the palm branches and the shouts of loyalty, that same week, they all abandoned him. They went from shouting Hosanna to shouting crucify him. They went from showering Jesus to praise with praise to nailing his hands and his feet to a cross. They went from big leafy green palm branches to an old rugged tree. The apostles pledged their undying allegiance to Jesus at dinner and then within an hour or two, maybe less, they had all run away. How does that happen? Palm Sunday, I think, is how that happens. Palm Sunday begins with so much glory and promise that at last God's anointed Messiah has come and there's shouting and singing and there's celebration and there's anticipation. Jesus has come to save us. Jesus has come to defeat the evil oppressor and to destroy the enemy. And, and I think we can see ourselves in the swelling crowds surrounding Jesus. And we're following Jesus and praising Jesus. And we're putting all of our hopes for salvation in Jesus. And Jesus comes to Jerusalem. He rides the donkey through the eastern gate. He goes into the holy city. He proceeds right into the heart of the temple precincts. And he does... Nothing. He doesn't do anything. Mark eleven eleven. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went to the temple. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went back to Bethany with the twelve. Jesus doesn't do anything. He doesn't lead the crowd against the Roman garrison. He doesn't physically confront the powers and authorities that are oppressing the people. He doesn't even take the steps of the temple and make a stirring speech. He looks around for a little bit and then he goes back to Bethany for dinner. 
What a disappointment. What a letdown. What kind of a Messiah is this? What sort of Savior are we dealing with here? And I know the next day Jesus preaches his sermon in the temple and he overturns a few tables to make his point, but he doesn't raise a finger against the Romans. He doesn't even raise his voice. In fact, the very next day, he tells all of his followers, you give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. What? By Thursday and Friday, I think enough of the Jesus followers were disappointed and disenchanted with Jesus. It was much easier for the chief priests and the teachers of the law to turn the tide against him. Even the apostles, the the insiders, the personally chosen followers of Jesus, the ones who promised never to betray him, to never leave his sight, will die first, they said. They're gone. How? Well, Jesus doesn't always meet our expectations. His kingship doesn't always provide for us what we think it ought to provide. And it could be anything. Maybe there's a problem in your marriage that Jesus just hasn't fixed. Maybe there's a wound in your own soul that Jesus just hasn't healed. Maybe there's something going on in your family. Maybe there's a situation at work. Maybe there's a physical illness, there's a disease. Maybe there's an addiction. And being a Christian hadn't really helped. Maybe you feel alone and Jesus hasn't given you any good friends. Maybe it feels like nothing is going right. Jesus doesn't always provide what we think he ought to provide. And so Jesus is resolutely walking to the cross and you abandon him. You walk away from what Christ teaches. You give up on the ways of the Lord and you do things your own way. In order to gain some control, in order to feel like somebody's doing something, you turn your back or you drift away or you straight up just reject Jesus and his ways. And I know sometimes it does feel like Jesus is not doing anything and Jesus has to do something. Jesus cannot just look at my life. He cannot just look at my struggles. He cannot just look at my troubles and then go back to Bethany for dinner. He can't do that. He has to do something. Well, Jesus did something. Jesus resolutely set his face toward Jerusalem and he walked to the cross. As his disciples, we walk with him. We follow him to the cross. Follow me. Follow me. That's what Jesus says, right? Follow me. 
That's what Jesus has demanded since day one. If you go back to Mark chapter 1, the very first red words in the gospel of Mark, the very first thing Jesus says, he pops onto the scene and says, the time has come, the kingdom of God is near, repent and believe the good news, come follow me. Repent and follow me. Change your life and follow me. Turn things around, Jesus says, and follow me. Okay, I'll follow you, Jesus. Where are we going? And Jesus says, we're going to die. That's what Bonhoeffer said, right? When Jesus calls a man, he bids him come and die. In Mark chapter 8, you know, Peter identifies Jesus. He, he confesses what he finally realizes is true. Jesus, you are the Christ. You are the Messiah. You are the promised anointed one. And Jesus says, you're exactly right. And then Jesus calls all of the disciples and all of the crowd to him and says, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. Three things. Deny yourself. Deny yourself. And this is not about self-denial, okay? Those are two different things. Self-denial is getting a salad at Blue Sky and not the cheese fries, okay? That's self-denial. Drinking water instead of Dr. Pepper, okay? I mean, you are, you are withholding from yourself something good for a good cause. And yes, you're sacrificing. And yes, I think that's a good thing. But that's not self-denial. You're still in charge, right? You're still the one making the decision, Deny yourself means totally giving up control. Deny yourself is not volunteer work. It's not even getting to church early on a Sunday morning. That's not deny yourself. Deny yourself means Jesus' will and Jesus' way is the reason for every single thing you do. It's all decided for you. By Jesus, everything you say, every thought you have, every action, it's already decided by somebody besides you. That's what it means to deny yourself. It's not deny yourself blank. It's deny yourself, period. Deny yourself and Jesus says, take up your cross. To these followers of Jesus, a guy carrying a cross was the most despicable, disgusting, repulsive human being there was. Crucifixion was only reserved for the vilest of criminals and the worst kinds of slaves. It was cruel. It was torturous and humiliating. It was dehumanizing. In fact, the law of God says anyone crucified on a cross is rejected and cursed by God forever. And Jesus says, take it, that thing, it's yours, take it. And again, let me suggest to you this morning what that doesn't mean. Taking up your cross is not your arthritis, okay? It's not. It's not a family issue, it's not a nosy neighbor, it's not old brother so-and-so who sits behind you at church, okay? And by the way, it is not a spiritual gift to be someone else's cross to bear, okay? Can we get that straight? That's not a gift. But at the same time, 
Your cross to bear is not your patient endurance of the struggles and the inconveniences that just come to everybody in life. That's not your cross. Your cross is the humiliation and the ridicule and the disgrace that comes to you when you deny yourself to submit to Jesus. It's rejection. That's what the cross is. That's the way the Apostle Paul describes it in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. He says, it seems like to me God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession like men condemned to die in the arena. We've been made a spectacle to the whole universe, to angels as well as to people. We are fools. We are weak. We are dishonored. To this very hour, we go hungry and thirsty. We're in rags. We're brutally treated. We're homeless. When we're cursed, we bless. When we're persecuted, we endure it. When we're slandered, we answer kindly. Up to this very moment, we have become the scum of the earth, the refuse of the world. That's yours, Jesus says. Pick that up and take it. That belongs to you if you're going to follow me. Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. Follow me, Jesus says. Follow my way. Walk in my steps. Do things the way I do them. See people the way I see them. Be like me. That's what it means when Jesus says, follow me. Unflinching love selfless sacrifice and service. Put all of your trust in God and put all of your energy into others. Walk to the cross. Walk with the cross. With Jesus. For Jesus. To honor Jesus just like him. Listen, Jesus did not die so you don't have to. Jesus died to show you how to. Galatians chapter 2. I mean, this is Paul again, right? I've been crucified with Christ. Me. I was nailed to the tree with Jesus. And I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I'm living in the body right now, I'm only living by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I've been crucified with Christ. How do you deal with a guy who thinks like that? Seriously, how do you deal with a guy like Paul? Uh, Paul, if you don't stop teaching, we're going to have to stone you. Okay, that's happened before. Paul, if you don't stop planting churches, we're going to have to throw you in prison. Oh, if you do, would you please take me to that jail in Rome? Y'all released me last time before I could baptize the jailer. Paul, if you don't stop preaching that Jesus is risen and he's Lord, we're going to have to kill you. Would you please? See, I've had this dilemma for years. I, I can't decide if it's better for me to stay alive and work for the kingdom or if I should die and be with the Lord, which is far better. Man, if you would just kill me, it would really help me out of a spot. It would give me such relief. What do you do with a guy like that? Paul's already dead. You can't kill him. He's not alive. He is dead to the world. He is dead to himself. He is dead to his own growling appetites and desires. Paul has not just been influenced by Jesus Christ. He has fundamentally shifted every one of his allegiances to the lordship of Jesus. And following Jesus to the cross doesn't just mean dying to yourself 
or dying to the world. It means dying for each other. Philippians chapter 2, what does it mean to have the mind of Christ or the attitude of Christ? What does it mean to follow Jesus? Paul says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interest of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature, God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a human, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. I've been crucified with Christ. I am following Jesus to the cross. And you know what, church? That's hard. You know why it's hard? Because I want to be in charge of all the Bible class curriculum at GCR. I want to be in charge of the missions committee. That's why it's hard. I want to be in charge of planning the worship. I want to run all of those things. And if we can get Sister Laverne to quit singing so loud, we can get Brother Jack to shorten up his prayers. And if we can get the thermostat ever fixed in here and the trash taken out of the bathrooms, then we'll have something, right? I want to be in charge. Or, well, I know I'm supposed to turn the other cheek, but you, you got to understand, I'm in a different situation here. Or I know I'm supposed to forgive her, but she hasn't said she's sorry yet. See, if we don't like what Jesus says, we tweak it a little bit. And if, if Jesus tells us to do something we don't want to do, we'll, we'll just put less emphasis on that. And if something Jesus tells us to do causes us to be too uncomfortable, we are very capable of just leaving it out altogether. Listen, maintaining the status quo is not the same thing as following Jesus. Just being a member in good standing, just being a good middle-of-the-road church is not the same thing as following Jesus to the cross. The Bible says, forgive one another as Christ forgave you. Accept one another as God in Christ accepted you. Jesus says, love each other the same way I love you. That means with all your faults, with all your sins, with all of your problems, treat each other the same way you want to be treated. What if every one of us today, like right now before lunch, this hour we decided that our whole lives from this day moving forward are going to be deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Jesus. What if every word we speak is a word of grace and encouragement? What if every human contact is drenched with mercy and goodwill? What if every single action is motivated by sacrifice and service? You know what? This whole church would reflect the glory of God and the image of Jesus, and this whole town might be changed. All right, let's go back to Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday. Jesus didn't do anything that day. 
And I know sometimes it feels like Jesus isn't doing anything. And somebody has to do something. Jesus cannot just look at my life. He cannot just look at my troubles and my struggles and my pains and then shrug his shoulders and go back to Bethany. Jesus has got to do something. And he does. Jesus does something only Jesus can do. Jesus Christ does something to finally and completely and ultimately destroy the effects of sin and death on your life. He died. He died on a cross on purpose. Jesus resolutely set his face toward Jerusalem and he walked to a cross. He allowed himself to be beaten and tortured. He allowed them to nail his hands and feet to the tree. He died willingly. He sacrificed himself. He could have called 10,000 angels to destroy the world and set him free. He could have called 10,000 angels, but he died. He died alone for you and for me. That's what Jesus came to do. That's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The soldiers led Jesus away into the palace that is the praetorium. And they called together the whole company of soldiers. They put a purple robe on him, then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on him. And they began to call out to him, Hail, King of the Jews! Again and again, they struck him on the head with a staff and spit on him. Falling on their knees, they paid homage to him. And after they had mocked him, they took off the purple robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him out to crucify him. They brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. They offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him. Dividing up his clothes, they cast lots to see what each would get. It was the third hour when they crucified him. The written notice of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. They crucified two robbers with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, So, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, come down from the cross and save yourself. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked him among themselves. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. Let this Christ, this King of Israel, come down from the cross that we may see and believe. Those crucified with him also heaped insults on him. At the sixth hour... Darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
When some of those standing near heard this, they said, listen, he's calling Elijah. One man ran, filled a sponge with wine vinegar, put it on a stick, and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now, let's leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down, he said. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion, who stood there in front of Jesus, heard his cry and saw how he died, he said, surely this man was the son of God. Amen. What kind of love does our Lord have for you? Knowing your sins, knowing all your failures, knowing your past rejections and your future betrayals, knowing all of that, to still die for you. Remember, Jesus the Christ is God. This is God, the creator of heaven and earth. This is God. He's, he's on the cross. He is absorbing all of the pain, all the violence, all the injustice, all the sin, all the evil. He's taking it into himself. He is becoming your sin for you. Our God is nothing like the pagan gods who, who have to have the blood of humans to satisfy their anger and their wrath. Our God, church, he became human and offered his own blood on our behalf. And I know sometimes it feels like Jesus is not doing anything. I know. The truth is, he already did everything. Everything, whatever you might possibly need in this life and for the next, it's already accomplished. Church, it is finished. It's already done. He saves you because he loves you. He loves you so much. He loves you to the point of absurdity. He loves you all the way to the cross, purposefully, willfully, stubbornly even he goes to the cross and he doesn't just give you forgiveness and salvation although he does that praise the lord he offers you life real life abundant life eternal life john 10 i have come that they may have life and have it to the full and I know, I know, because I know you. I know if somebody asked you, would you be willing to die for Jesus? You'd say yes. I know you would. If somebody put a gun to your head today and said, you renounce Jesus as Lord or you die, I know you would choose to die. I know you. If the devil himself walked down the center aisle and stood up and said, are you ready to die for Christ? You wouldn't even blink. You would say yes. Jesus is asking you a much more difficult question. Jesus, the giver and sustainer of life, asks, will you live for me? That's a different question. Will you live for me real life? Abundant life, 
eternal life in relationship with God through Christ and with each other as followers of Jesus. Amen? Amen. I want to give us some time to pray together and uh, for you to respond to the word today in any way the spirit is moving you to respond. If I could get our elders and our ministers and your spouses, if I can get a couple of y'all down front here and I can get y'all just kind of spread out around the worship center. I don't want us to leave today without giving you an opportunity. If you need to just talk to somebody. If you need someone to pray for you and to remind you of what God through Christ has done and is doing for you. Listen, I know it may feel like God's not doing anything right now. He's already done it. And we need to be reminded of that. And we would be so honored to lift you up to our God this morning in the name and in the power of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Would you all stand with me, please? Let's sing together and let's pray.